Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. ¿Estás cansado de oír siempre lo mismo y escuchar la misma canción una y otra vez? Pues te damos la bienvenida a los podcasts de Autentia Desarrollo, donde os acercamos las mejores charlas técnicas de la comunidad. GESAS 2019 Choosing the right architectural style debate by Alex Soto, Victor Farsik, Ana María Mialceanu and Christian Cotés. Ok, so, hello everybody. Um, this will be the last talk of the day, so we hope that you enjoy it. Uh, we've been learning many, many, many things uh, during the whole day, so we'll try not to repeat things again, and we'll try to, um, well, at least explain other point of views or other things. Um, first of all, uh, an easy question, just to warm up, okay? Um, what is, for you, it's not necessarily a formal definition, but for you, what is an architecture style? For example... So let me start my own opinion, by the way. So I believe that an architectural style is like a vocabulary of components and the connectors between them that work very well in a given, with a given set of constraints. Typically, this architectural style or architectural pattern, as debated this morning, uh, well, is proven as good or bad on implementation time. So there's in my opinion, there's no right style as long as implementation is not there to support it, and vice versa, to be honest. Um, Victor, Alex? Um, well, well, yeah, I agree with, um, with Anne about the definition, but I remember some time ago that I was speaking with some startups, and they told me that they are not following any architectural style because they just try things. And they want to try one thing and see if it works, and if it works, then that's fine. Then they, let's say that they apply some kind of architecture there, and if not, they just drop, and they don't spend time on, on you know, architecting something uh, correctly. So I mean, maybe it's also in a style, right? Not using any architecture at all, just coding, and that's all. But yeah, I mean, I think that the definition, let's say, or, or the academic definition that there are multiple, has done. by the way. What? There are multiple definitions, so yeah. everyone has their yeah, own yeah. understanding. So, uh, I don't really know the definition, but to me it's more about accomplishing certain things, trying to accomplish certain outcomes, which might or might not be easier to accomplish following certain patterns, right? Uh, because at the end of the day, it's all about accomplishing certain things, whatever those things are. Availability, elite, 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 and other elites, right? Um, so, uh, like what Soto mentioned, I'm, I'm not big on, on kind of, uh, I, I prefer experimentation over, over, over following any kind of best practice. Actually, I hate the word best practice because it assumes kind of like this is the best thing you can do, which is to me kind of silly. Uh, it's more about accomplishing certain things through certain patterns or not. Yeah, well, um, but with, uh, regarding this, I mean, that maybe it's not an architecture pattern per se, but I, I like that, um, the situation where I was in, in a company um, being as an official architect and comes all the developers to me and said, yeah, we're going to use the data access object pattern, right? Because everyone uses this pattern, right? And I, and I asked them, why? And then it was like, Yes, we are using in, in all our projects. So they, you mean that sometimes we just do things because it has been done in that way. But why you need uh, that access object pattern, for example, probably you don't need it. But you use it because, you know, this is what you've done. And it's more like this that you said that the best practices thing, right? That sometimes you want to follow something, but it, you just do it blindly. You trust on the author of the book and you just do what the author says, but not thinking if you really need it or not. But another thing that I think is important, I might be wrong, yeah, uh, is that I think that most of the patterns are somehow uh, re directly related to applications. 
And I think that we are now seeing the move of those patterns being moved towards the system, right? Kind of system needs to be highly available. System needs to be this and that in this way or that way. And the importance of implementing those patterns inside of applications is becoming smaller. I'm not saying non-existent, but kind of smaller because many of the things that were previously in a domain of an application are now in a domain of a system as a whole. Uh, like this is how you do secure communication to your applications, right? We don't do that, those things inside of applications anymore. This is how we make your application highly available. We don't do those things in applications anymore, or at least not fully inside of applications anymore. So I think that we are, we are moving more towards the domain of splitting the applications into more of them and smaller, and then moving those patterns on a level of the system uh, and outside of those applications. So I, would, I, I know that now I'm gonna make many of you mad, but I think that it's becoming less important uh, what is done inside of application and then more important what is done outside on, on, a, on a level of the system as a whole. Well, the system as a whole counts a lot because at the end of the day, the users are going to use all the overall system. But the thing is that um, the application itself still matters. Um, regardless of, because you mentioned earlier Kubernetes, regardless of how awesome Kubernetes is, if your application that is running inside each pod or the applications that are running inside the pods are not well designed or coded or thought, you're still ending up with the same problem. So you can make smaller balls of mud or whatever, but you're not gonna um, end up uh, with a better application just because you've used a certain tool. So this is another thing. A lot of people dive into tools and think that that tool is gonna uh, offer them a solution or is gonna be the right thing for their architecture without actually thinking, uh, well, what are actually my needs? So, uh, and sometimes tooling is, pr is put on the first place uh, and the architecture afterwards, and actually the needs for what they had. Yeah, but tooling also defines your architecture. So for example, just True. to keep example with Kubernetes, right? Uh, I mean, we can change to something else, okay. uh, mainframe. I mean, if, if that's- No, <laughs> no, please. Okay, so uh, <laughs> it's going to define what you need to do inside of your applications for that application to behave well inside of the system. Uh, platform, system, whatever you wanna call it, right? So the moment you adopt and say, we are gonna run in cloud, we are gonna run in Kubernetes, we are gonna run here or here, that is already going to define a lot of the things you have to do. Not necessarily kind of ABC, but at least on principle level. True, but this means that the set of constraints you had allowed you to run it on cloud. There, there are a lot of uh, things that nowadays are you know, sometimes overlooked, like is the right, is the cloud the right thing for everything, <laughs> by the way? So is just one cloud the right thing for everything? There are things that are can, that cannot be running the cloud. So, and it's the same thing as not everything can be dockerized and put in a container, even though that people still try to do that. So there's no silver bullet architecture as discussed earlier today. There's no silver bullet pattern. There's always uh, the idea of you know identifying the components in your system and how those are gonna work given the, you know, the, what the business wants, what they told you that they want, what, they, what the expectations are for your application to produce, for your platform to produce. Um, so this is where everything starts and this is where you're getting your style, in my opinion, and then afterwards you're validating that style with the rest of the things that are coming afterwards, with the, all the utilities and uh, of course with tooling and of course of, with people because you also have to look into the people and the organization that you're putting that into. Yeah, well, but um, I would say regarding this, well, you mentioned that for every platform, uh, I mean, if you choose cloud, then you will need to code for cloud or architect for cloud, but historically I think that the developers will try to avoid this. I mean, if you see now, you can just Kubernetes and then you will need to take care of Kubernetes and all, how you put the code inside Kubernetes, but then, well, someone invent service meshes and then you put Istio and then some of these things that you usually put on your business code and it's dropped from your business code that put it in at infrastructure layer. But it, or if, even you, if you think about serverless, it's exactly the same, it's like put your efforts on you know, writing 
business code and let the infrastructure things happen outside of your, let's say, architecture. I mean, now it's like when you start thinking, if, for example, in the case of a serverless, um, let's say, architecture is really architecture from the point of view of a developer or not, right? Because you just write code. So, uh, I mean, that, I think that uh, we, we, it, everything is evolving in, in the sense of, of changing where the things are going and what we can be considered architecture or not. Yeah. Um, talking about this kind of um, evolving and how are we changing our way of doing architecture, um, I think, and this is just a personal opinion, that many developers or architects are trying to use fashionable architectures or fashionable patterns. Um, do you think that this, there's a hype in the industry, or this is something really necessary for the business that they are running? Uh, yeah, I was. I mean, that I, probably if someone has seen me in any uh, conference, you will uh, heard this for me that said. Oh, well, we are, that people say, yeah, we're using this because Netflix is doing it, right? And it's just like this. I mean, that I agree that there is, if Netflix is doing and it, they are blogging, and I always explain the example of cows engineering, since Netflix is doing cows engineering, then I'm doing cows engineering as well. But you don't stop and think about if you can or not do cows engineering, right? So it's somehow a, a hype on this. And, and then also a lot of people mixes technology and best solution in the sense that if you want to use Kubernetes, for example, you don't need to have a microservice architecture. You can have a monolith as well and deploy to Kubernetes. So if you want to learn Kubernetes, use Kubernetes, then it's necessary to move to microservices. You can stay on monolith. So I mean that sometimes it's, yeah, we, we try to do the, you know, put into our um, knowledge the last uh, technology and we want to de develop on production with the newest technology, but sometimes it's not feasible at all. Yeah, but so I, I completely agree, right? But still, I, I prefer I prefer that extreme. That extreme is now I'm look, going to look for excuse not to try out new technology, which is more damaging to me than, than trying. I mean, I prefer somebody who is going to go into hype. At least he's going to figure out something new and maybe fail or not, then the other extreme saying, no, no, we're not going to try what Netflix does. We are, we are fine. We are fine what we are doing, right? So, Well, yeah, there is I mean, this... this um, the hype, at least to me, is a signal that somebody is trying to learn something new. Yeah, this is the innovators uh, um, part of the, of the organization, right? The, the thing is that when you can cross the chasm, right? The, the, all the get between you gets from the innovators and early adopters to let's say majority of the of the organization, which is the. I mean that probably we are agree. I mean that we are talking about the same, right? But yeah, I, I tend to you know use the latest technologies. In fact, I'm just for example speaking about testing in production or 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 um, service meshes, which is something new. So I agree that we should adopt the latest technologies, but always taking a bit of care of not um, dying in the process. Because I, I know some, uh, I know some uh, companies that they died when they tried to move from monolith to microservices and now they are close. Yeah? They just failed and they spend a lot of money on this. So I mean that it's also important to, to take care of, of what you choose or the movements that you want to, to do. But it's also good to experiment. So before choosing something so radical, like radical change in architectural style, you should think of experimenting first. This is why sometimes it's good to have proof of concepts or some tryouts, like small scale, of course, not building the entire system. Yeah, but, but you know how, how this works, right? That the, the people say, oh, look, I've seen a presentation about microservices and oh, it yeah, seems I that microservices is going to solve all our problems. Let's mm. move to microservices. Yeah, you can do an experiment. No, we need to solve our problems. Go to microservices. I agree with that, but no, no. Th th there is a sentence that I really didn't like. Uh, I know a company who tried uh, microservices and failed, and now they're bankrupt or something like that, right? Yeah. Now I can equally say I know a company who didn't try anything and is now bankrupt, right? That's not yeah, of course, an argument yeah. at all. Yeah, of, of like, course. I mean, so we never know <laughs> what could happen if they stayed in a monolith. Of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But this is what happened at the end. 
I know, and I know a company who didn't try anything, it doesn't exist, so well, it's... If I may ask, well, you try new architecture, you kind of observe it, that it's not working for you, at some point you want to go back, maybe, because like, if you're seeing that you're constantly losing uh, with the new stuff that you're putting in production, kind of have to draw a signal of alarm, like saying, okay, maybe we should go back to the other one because it was generating more revenue than this one, and you go back. Anyway, with any, and this gets to another point, like, okay, you're taking this hype, you are choosing a new architectural style, you get it to production, but you, not, you have to have some plan B for the worst moments. You, you always plan for plan B. You, you just don't dive directly. And secondly, you don't, if you are doing so, such much change, you should reassure yourself that that thing that you're putting in production is actually gonna work for you with a lot of testing, by the way, and lots of kind of testing and, and so on. So around nowadays, I think it's a, there are a lot of tools, open source, and not only open source vendor base that can help organizations into measure if that thing that they built is actually good for them before like dropping it into production and saying, oops, this is not working as expected for so many users on the internet. So there's, there, there are workarounds. It's not like, uh, I don't know, um, 10 years ago when while I started my development career on, like everyone, monoliths. <laughs> so it was nice, it was modular, but still. And, and uh, I wouldn't say that that uh, what I was working on at that time should have been changed to microservices, by the way. It was very good as it was. So that one shouldn't be on microservices. So there are things that shouldn't be moved. But this is, again, a decision that the architects are taking together. Typically, I don't think there's just one architect in a project. There are many more. And if it's just one architect, well, I hope that he or she is talking with the development team <laughs> or everyone that is doing the implementation because there's, um, as said this morning, the architect is no longer isolated. He's no longer just uh, a dictator of decisions. He is, in a democratic way, talking with the team. And the team can tell him, well, this is not the right way. And by the way, since we're talking about things, I've recently read a blog about a company that didn't choose microservices, by the way, and they were giving the arguments of why they didn't go with that. I mean, they measured inside, in, inside their company why that architecture is not right for them. And they decided it's not right move, so we're not going with that. So this is brave to measure before you know, doing that. And Honestly, even though that you're seeing at a conference that a framework is nice and cool and look, all of my friends are using it, let's use it too. <laughs> um, I don't think you can go to your, to your employer and say tomorrow we're gonna use this. You're still gonna have some decision makers <laughs> in, in the mean. Unless you have so much influence in your company <laughs> that you're really trusted and like, okay, let's do this. But yes, I agree. A lot, of, um, a lot of the styles today, and especially microservices, is chosen based on the fact they saw it at others, it's advertised by others, and well, it's like, you know, when you're buying the new iPhone. You know, like everyone is buying it, but not necessarily because they need it. And because you also maybe had another iPhone that was working very well, and you don't need necessarily the new features of the new one. You just need to think if you really need that. And same with the architecture. Do you really need that? Yeah, I think that... Try that, it first um, and then think. Yeah. yeah, you go to the Apple I mean, store and try it first. And then yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, try, trying is... Uh, thinking of whether you need it or no is useless. If, if, until you try it. I mean, that's, that, that's... That's a beef I have in many architects, is that... We often have the division kind of like I'm thinking and designing and then somebody's implementing and then there is that division which is kind of like thinking and trying with different people, different departments and stuff like that. I mean, just try it. I mean, spend the week, see how it goes, like do experiments like we heard in a previous talk, talk and make a decision mm. to proceed, but modify or go back, right? That's, I think that's awesome, and I think this is the best approach in order to follow agile methodologies is if you're going to fail, fail fast, but to fail, you have to measure what is failure or, or what is not. So once that you're going to try, how to measure 
if is a good solution or a bad solution. Do you have any receipt for for this? Collect data and measure. Yeah. Easy. Well. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> but but <laughs> probably it, it depends. It's not, but uh, the, the 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 sad thing is that maybe I was unlucky, but. Uh, in many instances where I was, people, some simply companies are going blind. We are not collecting data, or we are collecting data, but we don't know what to, what to do with them. Kind of like, that's the situation. I rarely see, like, like the previous presentation, I rarely see this, that in action. Kind of that somebody really measured data. And it's not even that hard. I mean, I don't know what, what, what was done in the previous presentation was hard. But you can, it's not that hard to get some really basic conclusions kind of, is this faster, is this slower? Uh, what can we do to, to make it faster or slower or, or what's, whatever? It's not that hard. Okay, okay, really interesting. Well, I wish I got uh, that. It, uh, I think you need to, yeah, if you were blindly, then it has no sense, but sometimes, I mean, that, that's really obvious. What, I mean, just focusing one, on one parameter, what do you want to do, reduce, or, uh, reduce the, um, I don't know, the, the money you're spending on the cloud, or you want to increase the uh, revenue or the incomings that you're receiving from your users, or you want to just attract more people to your platform, for example, just, just you know, put, to get more, uh, more quota. So it's just defining one simple goal and go towards that. But if you go blindly, then... Yeah. But uh, and it, this will depend on the, in which stage of the, comp of the organizations are. For example, if you are in a startup, probably you want to grab as much as people as possible to use your platform. So you don't care at all at first um, about money. But then when you're, when you're growing, you become you know, um, more an adult enterprise or more not a startup organization, then probably you want to uh, be more focused on, on the revenue. Great. So we've been talking about uh, companies that are bankrupt because of microservices. Uh, we've been talking about <laughs> Uh, teams and architects and so on. So it's going great. It's going great. Everything under control. Um, okay, we've been talking about architecture styles. Okay, uh, is it possible to have a system with different architectural styles inside the system itself? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. And how how do you manage uh, all these things, or how you how do you reach uh, this position? I mean, is something natural? Or is something that you think beforehand, okay, I'm going to do this. So such a system, from my point of view and experience, is driven when typically you have multiple types of stakeholders involved. So you have different types of business consumers for, for your system, for the bank system. So this is when you are starting to split, uh, split uh, to combine multiple architectural styles because you have a needs specified by one group, needs specified by other group, and cannot be addressed with a single style. This is when you combine them. If you follow the previous thought that you need to choose the architecture depending on your needs, that automatically means that you need to mix out architectural styles. Because if you have more than one application, then you have different needs for applications, and therefore it needs to be, it could be different, I mean, those might, might be the same needs, but if you say all, all of my applications are using the same style, that means that they're all the same, right? Just following the logic, not even practice, kind of like logically speaking, they must be different. But then what, what if you want to change this architectural style because maybe business requirement changes and so on? Mm. So how do you um, face that, that problem? I don't have the answer how do you face it. What I do know is that the smaller the scope of the change, the easier the change is. And now we would be going back into breaking the monolith. <laughs> well, actually, I, I really like the monolith conversation. I'm a big fan of the monolith. Uh, and just, uh, there's Nobody a question that I have to say, that, that I have to ask. Do you think that we will reach again the point where the monolith is the king? Or are we going to see presentations uh, in conferences like this one talking about the monolith, or do you think that the time has gone for the monolith? I speak about monolith. I mean, I just uh -huh. spoke, yeah, I spoke uh, last year, for example. Last year, or, or last, last summer, was, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that, but, but 
you need to, uh, in my opinion, what you need to think about is that the microservices is not the final goal. It's just one way. The final, the final goal is to, let's say, reach production several times per day. Then you can do it using monolith or using a microservice architecture. But, it's, but microservices never should be the final goal. That's for the reason I always say that if you are able to do a good monolith and you are able to deploy it to production several times per day, then maybe you can choose the movement to microservices, but not before. Why not before? Maybe you cannot do it with a specific monolith, so you might want to break it before that, right? I, yeah, but I mean, to yeah, be, I, mean, I understand the logic. Yeah, yeah, but it. but I I don't but know how many companies slash projects would require a microservices architecture and not anything else. But for example, the, I mean that depends. Uh, uh, what is the problem you're trying to solve with that? When yeah. deploying multiple times a day is not the only problem that is solved by yeah. smaller applications. For example, I can say. I want smaller applications because I find unacceptable to have a team of more than six, seven people working on an application because beyond that number, it's inefficient, it's slow, it reduces too much administrative overhead and so on and so forth. I'm just picking up a second reason, right? So small team can be my goal and I cannot have a big application with a small team. Well, right? you're gonna still have small teams all of them working in the same code base. The thing is that all the team needs to commit regularly, not after two weeks, because then you've got the hell of merge thing. That's, that's true. But you, if you... You just said the, said the reason why you cannot have it. Make up no. your mind. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but what I mean is, is that, you know, you can still have it if you want. It's not, a, I mean, it's not, I mean, at the end, any reason to choose microservices it's like, okay, or not. I mean, or you can use a monolith. And if you have a you know, good team people just committing several um, times per day, then wait. I mean, uh, you still have all the teams. You're still managing several teams, but all of them working in the same code base. And it's, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I am not saying that it, it's possible. Uh, yes. Yeah, of course. I mean, for the reason I said that, I, I always. Uh, explain the, the the example of a Stack Overflow because you know nobody uses a Stack Overflow, but if you see a Stack Overflow, a Stack Overflow is a monolith. So I mean that they are receiving I mean at thousands of requests per second. They have a big code base, several teams working, and they are deploying maybe like thirty or forty times per day, and it's a monolith. So I mean that if you check all the Maybe all the con or, or all the conditions or all all the reasons that why you choose microservices, then think about a Stack Overflow, and they said, okay, I don't know. For example, this uh, a big code base, yeah, of course. It's a, with microservices, it can be uh, easy, but also you can do it with um, with a monolith. I mean that or uh, having a high throughput. Okay, you you need a high. Um, or a lot of requests per second, okay, yeah, that's fine. Stack Overflow is having two and they have a monolith. I mean that the, when you choose the architecture, microservices or not, you should also see if it really pays off what you're going, the movement that you're going to do. And for the reason, I'm not, I'm not saying that, uh, for the reason I said, um, because I don't have anything against microservices. In fact, I wrote a book about microservices. What I'm saying is that the final goal should never be microservices. No, it shouldn't, yeah. I mean, you always do something either because you don't, you don't know better or because you're trying to accomplish some goals. However, more often than not in more serious systems that you would start designing today without historical baggage behind you because that always complicates things. Greenfield. Yeah. And something with a more going towards serious size or, or importance you're more likely going to take that approach, I would, for a simple reason, not by default. So think about it, think about it, but if I had no other input, I would take it because I get uh, scalability out of the way. I mean, uh, uh, to me, that's similar to, to the previous discussion about uh, what, was the, what was the title of your discussion? Uh, reactive systems, exactly, right? Uh, 
you would choose those as well today simply because if you don't have any other input that would tell you that it's better to do something else, that's the norm today. Okay, great. Uh, I think there's, there's an agreement, more or less, so yeah. Uh, we all agree on that topic. Uh, let's jump now a little bit into the team because I think it's an important piece of the architecture, even though it's not the architecture itself, but I think that they are really important in a company, okay? Um, would you give a team the autonomy to make architectural decisions? Yes. Yes. At least is that is, I would say that is the but tendency, I mean, that they're going from bottom to top, but I'm sure that if you think about other traditional business, this is not happening in that way. I'm not saying, I mean, that the question it, was, was whether you would give them that. <laughs> that was the Me question. Yeah, uh, yes, uh, yes, I will give them, of course, the, the decision, but I mean that, but, but I try to also add some kind of, um, or, or be, um, more human in the sense I said, yeah, I will give them, but I know that, for example, if you are in a traditional business, I will not be able to do it. Yeah. So, what do you mean by traditional business? Uh, the <coughs> bank. Bank. <laughs> so that's traditional. Or running on COBOL. <laughs> to be um, honest, on COBOL, I wouldn't want to take decisions. Okay, but um, it, it's okay. Uh, so you, all of you, agree that uh, we can give that responsibility to the team. But we also agree during this day that uh, architecture is kind of cap with uh, the business itself. So um, we can assume then that uh, if we give them these responsibilities, they are going to understand the business requirements, what the business is expecting from us. Uh, do you think that in reality they have this knowledge in order to make the best decision for the business? No, but so if they don't, let's say they don't, okay. Uh, okay. for the sake of arguing. Still, the job of an architect or anybody else is to convince the team that that is the right way to do stuff, something, whatever that something is, right? What is disastrous is when you impose a solution because then the team does not own it. You can't, if it fails, right? It failed because of you, not because of the team, right? Kind of like. You don't want to have a team where people are capable of writing only getter setters, right? Kind of, they, you need to own, the team needs to own something. What I really dislike and I think is disaster, even though very common, is when you say, okay, so you're going to do it like this, 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 and that, whatever that something is. End of the story, do it. And then, then three years later we say, why is it not done, right? I mean, typically every team starts a project with the end, with the end goal in mind. So you should trust them on taking the right decisions. Secondly, every architectural decision is not taken by just one person. It has pros and contras. Even if you have a team, a small team of six, seven people, those six, seven people, my assumption is that they're autonomously thinking and they have their own opinions. So my expectation and given the experience is that not everyone thinks the same as you. No matter how you know, well regarded are in the organization, no matter what is your role, no matter what is your title and so on, people still have their own opinion. And nowadays, we're, it's a democracy everywhere, so everyone can state their opinion. This is the best way to take an architectural decision, to be honest. I mean, to hear everyone's thoughts. And typically on an architectural decision, everyone contributes because it's impossible for just, I mean, it can start from a topic, but everyone contributes to that. And there are multiple views to see that. So this is why the answer was yes from all of us, because first of all, I think all of us trust our, trust our teams, so this is why we think that for others it would be good too. But this is again, um, there are other cases when trust maybe is not there 100%, or as you said, uh, well, do they know the business? But they should know the business because this is how the project started with the what we're going to build here today. No, not with we're going to use this beautiful microservice or monolithic architecture. It started with we're going to build this system that is going to do these things and it has to achieve these certain attributes because 
the users didn't wrote to you like, we want a beautiful microservice architecture. They wrote to you, we want a system that does that and that. No, that's awesome. I think that I would like to work with all of you because you really are We're hiring. <laughs> so, I have kind of a... We have a left, he left. Uh, actually, that's true. If any of you feel comfortable just uh, coming here, you have to contribute to this interesting conversation, just feel free to come here. Uh, we are open to more people join us. Um, well, in my opinion, I think on all my colleagues and my past experience, uh, oof, uh, if I join the hype of microservices uh, plus going to a conference for the whole weekend when I arrive on Monday, Everybody is like crazy. Oh, we have to uh, use Istio and we have to build microservices and we have to deploy 30 times per day. Yeah, but, but you know, no, that is happening if you have very mature team. Kind of that. That's like kind of children, and then you give them candies and they, <laughs> I need to eat it, right? <laughs> kind of more experienced people and teams do not react like that. There is always hype. You're adopting new things, but of course now if if you if if you lock a team that uh, they never heard about the last thing that they heard is a mainframe and now you show them Istio and Kubernetes, of course they're gonna freak out, right? But normally people who professionals who tend to be a bit more informed, they are getting that those informations in a more granular uh, fashion, right? So it's, it's not really happening that much. Okay, awesome, awesome. So it's important to say that the context is a team that is kind of mature and they understand more or less the trade-off. If it's not, we'll change the company. Okay. Okay, um, let's talk now a little bit about the second system syndrome. Uh, I've got here the definition, so I can introduce to all of you. I didn't know what that the meaning of uh, that syndrome yesterday night, but I write it, write it down. So it is coming from the mythical man month, and it is uh, the tendency of a small, elegant, and successful system to be succeeded by over-engineered, uh, bloated systems due to inflated expectations and overconfidence. Do you think that uh, this is something that is really happening in the industry? <laughs> well, yesterday I was reading an article which says that one PHP page with thousands of lines, they are earning 2,500 euros per day. I don't know, I mean that, yeah, I know that it's really nice to have microservices architecture and I don't know, or a big, you know, Kubernetes and Istio and everything there. Yeah, it's really fine, but a PHP um, page is, you know, earning a lot of money. So, yeah, I mean, that maybe in some cases, yes, we are engineering, but this has happened all the time, I guess. Well, mm, I've read the book. It's an old book, but it's still good. Um, the thing is, uh, when you're building the first version of a system, you are looking to um, satisfy certain conditions, but you also think on what you're going to do better on the second one. And the way you're thinking at the architecture, you want also to be ready for the new nice things that you're going to put in the second version to young. And uh, why you're not putting the nice things even from the start in the first version? Well, the cool stuff and so on, because maybe you have some constraints on time, on budget, on earning the trust of the business that you can deliver that thing that they wanted from you. Um, but um, the second system syndrome is actually something that can be, uh, I mean, nowadays is, I think, is not very often encountered because if you are uh, thinking what you're going to do better in the second version, but um, I mean, focusing on the first one, but also thinking what you're going to put in the second one and in the next ones that are going to come afterwards, this is how you actually build an evolutionary architecture. Um, and nowadays, it kind of comes from the business side that is telling you, well, today I want this and this and this, but in three months I want this and this and this. So you, and you have these kind of expectations set on a given time. So you don't encounter 
I don't, at least in my opinion, I don't think you can encounter this syndrome uh, nowadays. And the solution in the book, it was really interesting that you hire an architect that has done two systems or has, <laughs> has the experience of two systems the same kind. But it's not like this. I mean, you can still have an architect that really thinks on what he's going to build, a team of architects that thinks on what they're going to build and how they're going to increment that uh, architecture that they're building over there, because this is about it at the end of the day. Um, and I don't think, uh, I mean, nowadays we have the syndrome of like replicating what others have done. <laughs> That's a different syndrome. We have evolved from the second system and that we've evolved by replicating what others did. Um, so, to be honest, I think that's avoidable and it's not something that you see. But again, you depend also on the implementation because you can have a very nice, good architecture and if you don't pay attention at the version one of how that was implemented, you can still have very beautiful goals in your mind for the second version. Uh, same architecture, but guess what? won't work because of how it was coded, the first one. So you still have to pay attention a lot at the first one in order to have a second one built without pain. Also, ideally, we would never get to the second system, but continuously, eventually, yeah. be if you know, you refactoring, modifying, and stuff like that, kind of like. Yeah. I mean, Ideal situation is not that you have a system, it works for three years, and then you build a new system, right? Kind of after those three years. Ideal situation, which is hard, is to have gradual improvements to your system. True. And not only adding new features, but improving it in many other different ways. True. But again, this is a common effort in a team. It's not done just by architecture. Eh, no, no. True. No architects in this story, yes. Um, all of this sounds really, really good in theory and in a book, but could you provide some examples where you face something like this, where you have a system and you have to evolve it, or the tricks that you use in the past or in your current companies to build a, an architecture that can be easily uh, changed, changed by the team or, well, yeah, by the team? Uh, so, I, I don't know, I mean, in in last couple of years, what I've been working on, we never had that problem simply because we're changing things every every week. So it's kind of like, in, in the last two years, I, and we, we actually made three complete, ended up with three completely independent versions of things that don't end up resembling each other, but still all those things were kind of gradual day-to-day -day changes, not necessarily day-to-day, week-to-week or whatever. It simply transforms over time, right? And, and I'm very of, of, of those terms you just mentioned because that somehow assumes that there is an upfront design that defines everything, and then how do you change at some later mo moment to some other upfront design that will change everything, right? It's if, if you go with the concept of team, maybe somebody's more senior architect, whatever in a team, but team is working on something and that is just simply evolving over time. Very few, there are very few cases I know of that somebody says, goes to trash, let's start over. Nobody has money for that. There are many companies in the world, so I cannot, I cannot answer. Come on, them. come on. Please, please, <laughs> welcome. I just, I just wanted to, I, I do have that experience and I just wanted to, to tell the story. So, so one of the things that I think is really important is that if we're talking about modern architecture, um, the, the modern architectural thinking, that's an evolving thing too. So, so, so you need to evolve your, your understanding and, and, and your, you know, your model of what the architecture of your system is as you discover more things, and then you need to evolve the implementation and the, the, the reality of your system kind of within that context. So 
Uh, when we built our, um, our financial exchange, the first we, we had a theory of what the architecture should be, and we, we built the first version to that architecture. We built a thing called a staged event-driven architecture uh, to, to the system, and we measured it, and it was rubbish. It wasn't. It was nowhere close to good enough. So we had to evolve our architectural thinking, and then we had to evolve the system within that architectural thinking. And I think I think to do this properly, to do the, to do this with quality, that's an ongoing exercise. Whatever the nature of the architecture, we should always be questioning. It. So we, as uh, I think George said in, in his, his presentation, uh, you know, it, it's this idea of, of, of establishing a theory of the system, and yeah, there are there are two different theories of the system at least. There's, but but the, you know, there's the architectural theory of the system, and there's the the, the 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 actual implementation theory of the system, and both of those much must evolve to get, to get to something good. Sorry, I just wanted to throw that into the mix. No, no, stay, stay, stay. Uh, stay. Uh, Dave, and please stay with us. I mean. It Kind of awesome, and I have another free seat here, so please. Um, okay, um, talking about all these business and uh, uh, quality attributes and all of this, uh, we we've been talking many many times uh, that okay, we have to choose which are the most important parts for our business, and then start building our architecture based on that quality on that quality attributes which could be performance or availability or whatever. Um, that's okay until the business maybe ask for more uh, quality attributes that weren't in the first, uh, in the first equation. Um, uh, following that theory, we can end up trying to um, uh, achieve all the quality attributes that are in the book. Uh, is there a, a, an architecture that supports all of them? No, but it's going back to, to what he just said. It's kind of like, it's not if business, it's business will be changing. Technology will be changing. Everything is changing, kind of like it's simply, it's, it's, it's kind of like the question is wrong as if kind of, what if this happens? It will be happening and it is happening all the time, right? The only thing that you need to worry about is whether you are adapting to those things more or less continuously, or you're waiting for significant amount of time to pass and then worry about what, what's going on. But it's, it's, it's ridiculous to expect that, that those things are not going to change even on a weekly basis. So I, I, I'd agree with that as well. It's, it's, you're not going to wait for the second si system to, 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 to change your mind on the architecture. That, you know, part of the game is to be able to work you, 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 you take your growing model of the understanding of the, you know, the relevant qualities and you do the trade-offs that uh, Mark was talking about. Um, you know, and, and, and you do that, you make those decisions on an ongoing basis and you evolve your thinking all of the time. You refine your model all of the time. And there are going to be constraints on how fast you can move. You know, if you, if you, you make you know, a big jump from, from one kind of architecture to another, that might be a hard move, but if, that, if that's the direction of the business. Amazon's a good example. Amazon's a good example. We all think of Amazon as this, you know, this, this, this shining example of small teams and microservices and stuff like that. It used to be a mod, uh, an entered PHP application backed by a relational database, which didn't scale. That's why they had to make the move. You know, so so you make these choices, and and, and that's the part of the game. You know, I think. I'm a grumpy old man. I don't. I don't think we've learned very much in our industry. But I think the one thing that we have learned is that is that nearly everything that we need to do, we need to do continuously. And architecture is no different. I, I think the problem in in many of similar questions or debates is that there is still that notion that there are those phases like architecture, development, testing, production, five years later, kind of like. And, and you, you, I think that very often, I'm not saying today, but in general, I notice that kind of when people ask questions, it's kind of like, yeah, because architecture is something you define and then you follow. And, and that's the problem. That's, that's the real issue that kind of like, there is a read-only document, right? <laughs> the, the, the lure is, it's a, sim, it's, a, it, it's, it's a lovely, simple idea. Wouldn't the world be nice if it was like that? Trouble is, it's not. Okay, so I think that we are more or less running out of, uh, out of time. So I think it's the right moment. If you have any question, uh, any comment, I encourage you uh, to ask.
or to participate in some way. I got them depressed. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be sunny outside, so depression should go away. If not, I I encourage you at least to do a conclusion of the uh, of the panel discussion. If you have any final words or conclusion or something, it could be nice at least to share with the audience. Don't do microservices. <laughs> <laughs> They are evil. <laughs> Work of Satan. And use Jenkins X, right? <laughs> I would say, um, I'm not participating in this, by the way. Um, I would say to choose the architecture that fits your needs and not the trends. And there is no right. There is a right that you and your team teams know. It's not the right defined by others. If I may redefine, kind of try stuff. Yeah, that, that's try right. things. Before taking a decision. Exactly. Don't make a decision by reading a blog. <laughs> Can I add one more thing? So, 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 so you said that earlier, and I, I reacted badly when you said that. It's not that I don't think that we should try things, but I think that we should have a theory, we should try and propose an explanation, then we should come up with an experiment and try things. So we should use the scientific method to learn. Yep. Just, just data is not enough, you've got to have a model as well, you've got to have a theory as well. No, no, that's what I meant. You just gave a better description of the same thing. Yes, I agree. Thank you. Questions? No worries. No microservices? Monolith. Well, I can I can give you my conclusions uh, more or less. So, um, I think that the reality in which I live is a bit different. So because I cannot see this level of expertise in the companies that I have colleagues and so on, and they are they are struggling, really struggling because of the architecture, and uh, the team is choosing the architecture, and they are trying to apply all these things, uh, but I'm missing more monoliths in the industry, uh, and this is an opinionated thing, okay? This is in my experience. And I was missing that part, right? Uh, okay, m uh, microservices, no, but we've been talking during the whole uh, conference about uh, event-driven uh, event architectures and all these things. So um, there's a long tail of companies that they, I think that they cannot afford this kind of architecture because they are expensive, they add a lot of uh, accidental complexity. And I think that these kinds of architecture are okay when you have a team of, uh, I don't know, uh, 70 engineers. Well, uh, in case of Netflix, for example, I think that only the operations team are like 100 and something people. Only the operations team. No, no. And I know that they do 24, 7, 3, 6, 5, and so on, right? Yeah, that's fine. But I mean, it's a lot of people making everything working correctly. No, so I mean, this is something that, if, that I agree with you, that depending also on if you can afford having all these architectures or not, that it, there is some you know, pay so behind or some, yeah. Th there is a cost, there are different different types of cost, right? One is like Netflix, among other things, that's because of the scale, right? So most companies in the world are not that scale. So most companies don't have that size of a cost. But the more, very often when I hear, and that's not the only one, but I hear about the a cost, that's because this is more expensive than that. But then when you actually discuss about it, you realize it's more expensive because this is what we know how to do and that we don't know how to do. Not necessarily that that is more expensive, right? Even driven something is not necessarily more expensive than <laughs> synchronous is not necessarily more expensive than asynchronous or vice versa. The expense really comes is that I have 20 years of experience in this, I have zero experience with that, therefore this is more expensive, right? Uh, many others. In some, but yeah. Very in, often in, in, it's that kind of, so, uh, Using cloud can be easily cheaper than, than on-prem. 
however, very often ends up more expensive than on-prem simply because people don't know how to use cloud. As simple as that, they don't know, or their applications are not ready and so on and so forth. So expenses are a very, you know, kind of saying I cannot do this or I cannot do that because it's expensive is very often not, not valid. And mostly because 99% of us are way behind Netflix and Google and few others. 99% of us, right? And they already gave us the practices and the tools that we can leverage. So our expense, so running a distributed uh, system, for example, for me is much cheaper than for whomever was the first one to run it for real. Kind of they already paved the way for us, right? Kind of Google had to uh, spend God knows how many millions of dollars to invent their own Borg, and now we use it for free, and it's called Kubernetes. I'm not advertising Kubernetes. They take anything else you want, right? Kind of. But being behind lowers your cost drastically. And most of us are behind. Most of us do not have to go through Netflix problems. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I mean, for example, moving on cloud, it's, it's, it's really cheaper than doing on-premise. On I mean, I'm not, I'm not, but the, moving on cloud or not, it's just, let's say, a, a decision that might be easy to take, let's say, but there are other, or using an event driven architecture or not, it might be easy, but there are other decisions that might be more risky. And, and the thing is that if the company can afford to fail, and this is, you know, what you need to figure out, depending on the, how strong is your organization, that you can afford failing or not, because maybe you fail. Yeah, but again, that's, that's also tricky because many companies, there are as many companies failing for not doing something as companies failing for doing something. Kind of how many of Fortune 500 uh, companies from 20 years ago are Fortune 500 companies today? And most of them did nothing, simply are not there anymore for doing nothing. Yeah, I'm not, so saying not, not doing nothing. I'm not saying this. No, no, I, I want to say kind of I understand that you cannot afford to change something, to improve something because of the fear of failure, but that, that fear of failure can equally motivate you precisely to do something because somebody else is doing something. Kind of what Netflix did, and I wouldn't really want to, I, I would be very disappointed if I would own a television company right now. Yeah, but right? this happens all, all the time. I mean, that you can see Nokia, BlackBerry, Apple, right? And that it's happened, and, and it's normal. I mean, that, like, I remember one quote, that said, one quote that saying that survival is not mandatory. There's kind of a theme that's going through this for me that, 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 that's, kind of, that's kind of interesting. So, so, so we're here in this, this global software architecture. So we, 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 a bunch of us spent yesterday talking about architecture in the abstract and all that kind of thing. And I, I think that's important. And one of the things, one of the reasons that I came, one of the reasons that I think it's important, is because is because this idea of, of kind of having a model. I think one one of the one of the problems of our industry, I think, is that we are a little bit fashion driven, and there's an awful lot of people that that, that will jump on the. the, the uh, I think you're right. I, th I think that, that there are trailblazers. Of course, from, I'm right. From, from, from <laughs> In this instance, <laughs> so there are trailblazers that can kind of jump up, jump on the, uh, uh, you know, on, on the, uh, uh, th that will lead the way, and, and we can we can then kind of follow, and we can kind of benefit from from some of that learning. But if we do that in a naive way, so 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 I'm, I'm a consultant. I, I, I go in the world. I, most of my organisations that I deal with are reasonably large organisations. Nearly every one of them is trying to adopt microservices, and nearly every one of them don't know what it is. So. So uh, if, if, if you're writing microservices systems and you're still testing all of the services together, take microservices by definition. Those things are independently deploy deployable. That's a hard, that's a hard, difficult attribute of microservices. That's one of these costs to, to, to that architectural pattern. I think having a level of architectural sophistication so that you can make these determinations and understand the, the trade-offs, the costs, I think is really important. And, and you can't just jump in and, ju and you, so so uh, okay. So if you're going to follow the pattern, follow the pattern. Don't in, <laughs> don't don't follow the bits that sound easy, which 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 sometimes I think we tend to do. Okay, okay. So we are out of time. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here with you, and hope you enjoy it.
Si te ha gustado el podcast y quieres estar a la última en tecnología, suscríbete a nuestro canal de iVoox e y escúchanos donde quieras. Para más información, autentia.com.